um, this is Karen, like, she's the reading about the, the Mar a Lardo kid. Thanks for one. Former president's boxes are similar to the contents of the 15 boxes, further based on the presence and number of documents and records being bearing classification markings discovered within the 15 boxes provided to the National Archives. There's reason to believe that the remaining boxes from which the 15 boxes were taken contained classified national defense information. So, and then it says, following the provision of the 15 boxes to the National Archives, remaining president's boxes were moved from the storage room to other locations on the premises. So this was the part, uh, I don't know about you, Ben, but this is the part that I thought was the most damning, uh, it, you know, and, and the most revelatory in here, just the level of detail that, um, that they have regarding uh, the move, you know, moving the boxes. So when you get down to paragraph uh, 56, um, there's a portion that was unredacted, you know, that talked about uh, considering that only 15 boxes had been provided to archives of the approximately 85 to 95 boxes that were in the storage room. It appears that approximately 15 to 30 of the boxes uh, had previously been relocated elsewhere. The FBI agents also observed that the composition of the boxes differed such that fewer banker boxes were visible while more plain cardboard boxes and storage bins were present. It's just interesting how, you know, different types of boxes, you know, uh, were kept there. Um, and, um, and, you know, the, and, and how they moved the boxes and that this was information that was in the affidavit to the search warrant. So a couple other things, um, uh, were in there that has been unredacted. Okay. One of them, uh, the title above paragraph 62 says surveillance camera footage shows boxes being removed from the storage room area prior to the former president's council number one's review in connection with the subpoena. So don't forget, uh, we, we know that um, this is, council number one is Evan Corcoran. And Evan Corcoran, uh, based on camera footage, okay, they know the date that Evan Corcoran went in to review the um, review the, to see, you know, to go through and, and find classified documents or national, you know, defense information. And based on surveillance footage, they know that boxes were removed prior to that. And so upon review of, and of course, we all know that now, but they knew that prior to executing the search warrant. I mean, this is probably, this is like the most probable cause I've ever seen. You know, this is so much probable cause, right? Like this, this search warrant is, I think, beyond reproach. So paragraph 62, 64, sorry, says, Upon review of the hard drive, the FBI determined that the drive contained video footage from four cameras in the basement of the premises in which the door to the storage room is located. The footage on the drive begins April 23rd, 2022 and ends June 24th, 2022. The recording feature of the cameras appeared to be motion activated. So the footage is only captured when it's motion detected in the, in the camera view. One camera in particular identified on the hard drive as South Tunnel Liquor provides a view of entry and exit into a room here and after the ante room that leads to the storage room. So the doorway itself is not visible to, 
to the camera as a refrigerator is directly there. But the footage from this camera nonetheless establishes entry and exit into the room because it appears that uh, it's apparent that when persons within the camera's field view turn directly behind the refrigerator and then disappear from view. So the anteroom, in addition to the entrance from the south tunnel, has approximately four doors leading off of it, one of which is the gold painted door that leads to the storage room. The anteroom provides the only entrance to the storage room. However, other offices can also be identified from them and from the surveillance camera footage. And by reviewing the footage provided by the Trump Organization, the FBI has determined on May 24, 2022, witness number five is observed exiting the anteroom doorway with three boxes. Then on May 30, 2022, four days after witness five's interview with the FBI, I mean, this has got to be Walt Nata, right, Ben? Witness number five? Witness number five is definitely Walt Nauta. That's my five. And you see that they were speaking to Walt Nauta um, as early as May. That's when Walt Nauta was lying to them and saying that, what boxes? I don't know anything about boxes. Yeah, don't know what you're talking about. And then he's seen on the video camera moving the boxes. That's probably the most damning thing at all Agreed. when you talk about culpability. Because Nauta originally said, I don't even know what you're talking about. And then to see him moving these boxes, that was a game changer. Um, and we know that. Um, in the ultimate indictment that was filed, but there that was previously redacted in the um, in the search warrant affidavit. Yeah, okay, that's what I thought too. I thought this was, you know, absolutely. I, th I think this is partly putting pressure on Walt Nauta, Nauta to cooperate. Right now, everybody knows what you just said. I mean, this is think about it. What Walt Nauta is observed, okay, on May twenty fourth, twenty twenty two exiting this anteroom doorway with three boxes, right? And then six days later, uh, which is four days after he spoke with the FBI and which uh, telling him that, you know, the, there was significant questioning uh, regarding the boxes, he's observed exiting the anteroom doorway with approximately 50 bankers boxes, okay? 50, consistent with the description of the former president's boxes. The FBI did not observe this quantity of boxes being returned to the storage room through the anteroom entrance in its review of the footage. The next day, June 5th, June 1st, 2022, uh, Walt Nada, witness number five, is observed carrying 11 brown cardboard boxes out the anteroom entrance. One box did not have a lid on it and appeared to contain papers. The day after that, June 2nd, he's observed moving 25 to 30 boxes some of which were brown cardboard boxes, others of which were bankers boxes, okay? And then, you know, it goes on about how uh, witness number five, Walt Nada, is observed, you know, three and a half hours later, observed es escorting the president uh, in through the entrance of the anteroom, and, uh, and Evan Corcoran, the counsel, is not observed leaving until approximately two and a half hours later. On June 3rd, 2022, uh, President's counsel number one, Evan Corcoran, is escorted through the anteroom entrance by an unidentified individual wearing a jacket, United States Secret Service Police, printed on the back. The unidentified individual, uh, the former president's counsel, exit the anteroom entrance moments later, and the counsel appeared to be carrying a red world envelope after exiting the anteroom. To me, that section is the most significant section of what was redacted. I mean, it just really goes to show how 
strong the not only the cases against Walt Mata, but just the connection between him and Trump and just how he is so doing Trump's bidding, carrying all these boxes by himself, you know, escorting the president. I mean, you know, he is really, you know, this this guy's in a lot of trouble, and but he is really connected to him. And, you know, and Trump is keeping him close still, right? Going out and having Philly cheesesteaks with him, et cetera. I mean, Trump is keeping this guy close um, because he does not want him to flip against him because look at this evidence. I mean, this is crazy, right? Walt Nauta is going down, and when you see what's there on page 67, and then you go, um, rather, paragraph 67, and then you go to paragraphs 77 and 78, newly unredacted as well, um, and this shows that before the search warrant was executed um, on Mar-a-Lago, uh, the FBI and DOJ knew that more than half between 34 and 39 of approximately 64 of the boxes that had been removed and what he just talked about had not been returned. So it was basic math. And so ultimately, when you had the situation where the Department of Justice showed up, just frame this in your mind, the Department of Justice, they sent a subpoena out in May. There's uh, an, an extension request by Trump's lawyers, but then Trump's lawyers, Evan Corcoran, who Evan Corcoran thinks that he's searching, I think, the, the, the right place. He's not searching anywhere else. When he meets with the Department of Justice and the top counterintelligence officials on June 3rd, the DOJ knows all of this, right, at this point. The DOJ is aware during this meeting that Evan Corcoran is lying to them you know, and they are aware of a lot of the misconduct that is taking place. Um, and so they, there's a disparity of information because Trump's not telling his own lawyers what's going on. Um, and so some of this was learned a little bit later through the surveillance footage, but the DOJ is coming in with knowledge and Trump throwing his lawyer, Evan Corcoran, under the bus and also Walt Nauta, who's going to be in a lot of trouble. Yep, Absolutely. Absolutely. And so I think, look, the, my, my final point, and if you want to give a final summation on these um, uh, redactions that have been removed, is it shows very clearly that at every step of the way, Donald Trump knew what he was doing. He knew what he was doing. He was giving the middle finger to the law, to the Department of Justice. These were his brain documents or whatever, whatever they call it, whatever they were calling it. These were his things. He wasn't going to give them back. He took them. You can't do anything for me. You know, it's malignant narcissism, criminal, someone who doesn't give a crap about our laws. And you're not above the law. And the fact that somebody could read this. And then read the indictment and be like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm cool with that. Trump gave the big middle finger to America, comma, the Justice Department.
Lock him up. So I made a YouTube post and snap Twitter. Yeah, criminal intent. You can do whatever you want to do, then you can't have a credible argument with me on everything else. You have zero credibility now. Because if there was a similar affidavit as it relates to Hillary Clinton or Biden or Pence, if there was this level of culpability and intent, we're in an evidence-based system. It's not about conjecture. It's not, you know, oh, Donald Trump did bad things. Let's not like him, you know. No, it's there's evidence. There's data. There's facts. There's photos. There's videos. There's statements. <laughs> That's what a case is about. It's not about Kevin McCarthy and Jim Jordan making something up and then trying to find and fabricate evidence that justifies the defamatory statements that they make. No. This is evidence. This is statements. This is this is the this is the stuff you dealt with as a former prosecutor, Karen. You get the final word. Yeah, and in, in addition to what what you were saying about you know Donald Trump thinks these were his documents that he could keep up, that he could declassify them, and there's a lot of people who agree with that and believe that. Even if putting that aside, even if you buy that, right? There's some if he thinks there's some gray area and everybody does it, you know, whatever. The way he kept this stuff, like. Any other normal, rational person would put this in a safe, a locked safe. You know, they would they would guard this with the absolute utmost care because these are our nation's most incredibly sensitive documents uh, that exist. They just are. And they are so sensitive that it can put our, our country at risk. It can put people's lives at risk. And, and the fact that he thinks they were his. He thinks he can do what he want with them. But just the carelessness and willy-nilly uh, way that he kept the documents in these rooms that were accessible to many people, to other people, to just general people, that one room had four doors to it. It has a painted gold door. I mean, it's just absolutely, you know, that they were open, you know, one of them's the liquor, you know, camera, because I guess that's where they keep the liquor. And the other room is the merchandise, you know, where they keep the, the challenge, the Mar-a-Lago challenge coins, you know, whatever the, the stuff that they have that they give away. I just, you know, that that's how he keeps our most sensitive secret information to me shows he just, he's not fit to lead this country. He's just not, I mean, that's what, to me, this is so the difference between you know, again, I don't agree at all with him that he could keep these or that he should be able to keep these, etc. That's 
totally awful and he can't but he did it intentionally and you know he like like all the other people biden um hillary you know pence all the other people who had it they didn't realize they had it they had no idea and the minute they they found it they gave it back you know it's like a hot potato you don't keep this in your hand you don't keep this somewhere he not only took it intentionally but then he kept it in a way that's that that put everyone's lives at risk, you know, it, not just in this country, but in other countries. Uh, to me, you know, that to me just is a different level of culpability. And he absolutely deserves not only to be prosecuted for this, but to be put in prison and he should never hold office. He is unfit. Couldn't agree more with you. Always enjoy these hot takes together. Make sure everybody is subscribed to Legal AF wherever you get your audio podcasts. All you have to do is search Legal AF. It's free to subscribe. Subscribe to the Midas Touch YouTube channel. It's free to subscribe. And if you want to support the channel in other ways, check us out at patreon.com slash Midas Touch. Have an incredible day. Hey, Midas Mighty, love this report. Continue the conversation by following us on Instagram, at Midas Touch, to keep up with the most important news of the day. What are you waiting for? Follow us now. You're watching The Legal Breakdown. So, Glenn, we had former White House Press Secretary Stephanie Grisham come out on MSNBC and, uh, and say basically in, in public that she witnessed Trump showing classified documents on the Mar-a-Lago patio. So, first of all, what kind of impact could that have on the DOJ's federal case against Trump? So, it can only continue to build the evidence stronger against Donald Trump. Um, you know, the first thing I thought of when I saw her reveal that to Alex Witt on MSNBC is... I wonder if Jack Smith already has that information, has already presented her to the grand jury, and so we're just all learning about it now. Look, any additional evidence that Donald Trump is recklessly, indeed possibly unlawfully, showing classified documents to others um, happened at Mar-a-Lago on the dining room patio where he's just apparently sharing classified documents with people who have no security clearances, no right to see those documents. The more evidence Jack Smith can, can uh, acquire, obtain of that, you know, the more it is going to show Donald Trump's pattern or practice of mishandling classified information. So how much stock do you put in these claims by Stephanie Grisham? Like, how likely is it that what she's saying is true? No, I don't know, and we're not human truth detectors or lie detectors. Um, I would assume if Jack Smith knew about this information, if his prosecutors interviewed Stephanie Grisham before deciding whether to present her to the grand jury, they probably um, looked for all of the corroborating evidence they could find of her claim that you know, this, this sharing of classified documents went on down at Mar-a-Lago. Because I'll tell you, Brian, when I was trying to decide who to present to the grand jury, I had to really satisfy myself that they were providing truthful, accurate information to the best of their ability. Because, frankly, it is every ethical prosecutor's nightmare. And you're going to put people before the grand jury, or even worse, you're going to call them to prove your case at trial. And it turns out they're not being completely truthful. Maybe they have it out for the defendant. Maybe they have a pre-existing grudge or a beef. You know, we work very hard make sure that if we're going to present evidence to the grand jury or to a trial jury, 
is absolutely truthful, accurate, and it can be relied upon. So if what Stephanie Grisham is saying bears itself out, if it's true, would this add to the charges levied against Trump, or does the amount of times that he committed the same crime not have a discernible impact? So, so basically, you know, if, if Trump commits the same crime 10 times, is he, is he charged 10 times as much, or is it just there's lots of evidence for one big crime? Yeah, that's a great question. Each individual mishandling of classified information or sharing of national defense information, which is a crime that falls under our nation's espionage laws, each incident, if it happens at a different time or at a different location or on a different day, can be separately charged. That's not to say prosecutors don't sort of batch certain related crimes together and bring them in one charge. But here's the challenge for prosecutors. If you put two or three or four related um, documents, crimes in one charge, the defense will almost always file what's called a motion to sever and say, you know, judge, these are improperly batched together in one charge. They need to be broken out, each one in its own charge, so we can attack the evidence you know, on each charge and try to win an acquittal of each and every allegation against the defendant. So um, in theory and often in practice, every single time he shows a classified document to somebody, um, it can be charged separately, it can be punished separately upon conviction, and that's the way I suspect Jack Smith will go with this. Okay. Now, was this specific charge included in the original indictment that was handed down by Jack Smith, or is this something that we would see added as part of some superseding indictment? No, I don't believe so, and here's why I say that. Um, if you'll recall, Stephanie Grisham resigned on January 6th, virtually during the insurrection. Apparently, that was a bridge too far for her, and she submitted her resignation on January 6th, 2021. So I think the logical question is, when did she see Donald Trump show these classified documents at Mar-a-Lago? Was it before uh, uh, the insurrection when he still would have been president. And remember that there is that awful Department of Justice memo that says you, you really can't prosecute a sitting criminal president. And if he was showing documents to other people while he was president, he might not have the same criminal exposure that he has when he steals those documents and he leaves the White House and begins to show them to others uh, after point in time when he could have even declassified them. So I think the devil is probably in the in the chronology here. Is this something that happened while she was still uh, a member of Donald Trump's staff, uh, such that he was still president, or did it happen after? I think one thing we can infer is that after she submitted her resignation on January 6th, I think she was still welcome at Mar-a-Lago, palling, palling around with Donald Trump and company Unlikely. So that suggests that whatever she saw at Mar-a-Lago, she probably saw while Donald Trump was still president. If Jack Smith does ultimately decide to do something with uh, with this claim handed down by Stephanie Grisham, when would he need to do that so as not to delay this case? Good question. So the longer you wait to add charges in what we call a superseding indictment, um, the closer it gets to the original trial date, the more problematic it becomes, because what will the defense attorney say? Uh, the prosecutors just added new charges. We now need time to investigate them and be prepared to defend ourselves from these new allegations. 
Um, so that can very easily push a trial date even farther out into the future. Um, so there is no hard and fast rule that, for example, a charge must be added within 30 days of a trial date or it will result in a, in a continuance of that trial date. It really is a sliding scale depending on nature and number of the charges added and just how close in time the trial date is when those charges are added. But rule of thumb, you better get all of those um, charges added to the case very early on, like months in advance of a trial date, where you're very likely looking at that trial date getting pushed. To that exact point, have we had any movement on the case in terms of Judge Cannon either accepting or rejecting the DOJ's proposed December 11th start date? We have not. I think we are treading water. So I think the state of the record now is that um, the prosecutors said, listen, the August trial date was completely unrealistic. Everybody knew that. Even the defense attorney said, yes, we agree that the August trial date was unrealistic. The prosecutors requested a December trial date. The defense said, well, we're going to object when the time is right to that trial date. We want to push much farther down the road. I don't think we've had a hearing, and I know we haven't had a ruling yet from Judge Cannon on the government's request to have this trial begin in December. Do you have any indication uh, as to when Jack Smith will, if he even will, but when Jack Smith would put forward a superseding indictment? Because if it's going to happen, it has to happen before Judge Cannon would then decide or, you know, decide to accept or reject that December 11th start date. I think we have zero idea about whether Jack Smith will be prepared to issue a superseding indictment tomorrow, or he won't be prepared to issue one for the next two or three months. We really have no idea. Um, it seems to me that given that he's pulled in the Giuliani's of the world for what we call a proper session, which is one of the last steps before he decides what to do with Giuliani, either indict him or have him plead guilty with cooperation. Of course, he's grand jury Trump's lawyers. He's grand jury the vice president. It really feels like we're sort of moving to the end game for Jack Smith. It really doesn't tell us much time, much about the timing of the superseding indictment. All right, let's finish off with this, and this is a let's get your one dollar betting limit into play here. But do you anticipate that we will see this first federal trial against Trump start on December 11th, or do you anticipate that it'll be later? I don't even think I'd put 50 cents on this trial starting in December. If I had to bet my buck, I would say probably late winter, early spring, maybe. March, April time frame, I do think Jack Smith will be sort of keenly aware of the upcoming presidential election. So he'll probably try to make sure that trial starts early in 2024. Um, and I don't I don't think it will linger as late as the summer of 2024, but I don't think December is all that realistic. OK, and finally, let's end with this. What is the next major milestone that we'll be looking toward in this case? So I think Judge Cannon has set on a status hearing on the prosecution's request for a December trial date and the defendant's objection to that. Um, I, I believe she set that next hearing for some time in July. I don't remember the specific date. But in the event we don't have another indictment issued before then, I think that's when we will begin to learn more about at least the timing of the documents case moving forward. Okay, great. Well, for anybody watching, uh, obviously, if you want to stay on top of that as soon as it happens, make sure to subscribe. The links are right here on the screen. I'm Brian Teller-Cohen.
I'm Glenn Kirshner. You're watching The Legal Breakdown. Special Counsel Jack Smith, Manhattan District Attorney, Alvin Bragg, Fulton County District Attorney, Bonnie Willis. Big updates in each of these matters led by these prosecutors. First, it's Special Counsel Jack Smith's criminal investigation into Donald Trump's theft of thousands of government records and obstruction of justice. We learned about an audio recording. Lordy, there are recordings. Of <laughs> Donald Trump. These Lots. recordings are now in Jack Smith's possession. And in these recordings, Donald of Trump evidence. reportedly brags about having a classified document about military plans in Iran. Where is this document that Trump was referencing? Trump failed to turn over that documents, that document in response to a subpoena. We are learning. And we are also learning that special counsel Jack Smith is heavily focused on Donald Trump's potential tampering with surveillance footage at Mar-a-Lago. This, as Donald Trump's lawyers are accusing each other of being snitches. Second, updates in the Manhattan District Attorney criminal case against Donald Trump for falsifying business records. Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg has filed an opposition in federal court to Donald Trump's attempt to remove the case from state court to New York federal court. It is a motion for remand. And Trump does not want to be in front of that state court judge, Juan Morshan, that's for sure, because in addition to filing the removal motion, which happened around last month, this week he filed a new motion, one to recuse or to try to disqualify Judge Juan Morshan. We will talk about that. Third, go south to Fulton County, Georgia, where we learn Fulton County District Attorney Fawny Willis is focusing on Donald Trump's criminal conduct, not just in Georgia, but also in other states. Why? I've got one word for you. Rico, Rico, Rico Suave. Rico, Rico charges against Donald Trump, we believe, are being pursued by District Attorney Fawny Willis. And as part of demonstrating that conspiracy, uh, that Donald Trump was engaged in. She's focused on his conspiracy in other states to commit crimes. Finally, can't have a legal AF without updating you on what's going on with MAGA Republican George Santos, who was criminally indicted by the Department of Justice out of the Eastern District of New York Division. The federal magistrate judge in the Eastern District Federal Court gave George Santos until Monday after his lawyer begged for an extension to respond to the request by the media to release the names of individuals who posted $500,000 in bail for him, whose names, for reasons that still aren't very clear to me, are currently being kept a secret. Release those names. And release Michael Popak. Michael Popak from <laughs> Legal AF. I'm Ben Micellis. A Wait, was he pleasure to be Santos? here with all uh, the Legal AF with you, Michael Popak. How are you? I'm doing. I'm doing great, Ben. You know, there's a that rundown you just gave. There's a reason that Trump's closest advisors have told him to be prepared mentally, emotionally, physically, oh, yeah. if he can, and financially, if he can, for indictments coming out of Jack Smith, Bonnie Willis, and maybe Alvin Bragg again over this summer. They've told yeah. him that. 
He's got to be prepared for it because it is happening. And people that think, well, they're just blowing smoke and sunshine over there on the Midas Touch Network. Remember, we said the Alvin Bragg thing would come down. We were just off by about two weeks, but we got the month right. We're going to get the month right and the summer right for indictments against Donald Trump. Whether it matters to the MAGA electorate, that's probably doesn't matter. They're okay with him being multiply convicted, multiply indicted, multiply uh, impeached, and a judge to be a sex abuser. That doesn't seem to move the needle for them. But for the rest of America and independents and women, I think it makes a major difference in the general election. And that's why we're here covering those factual legal political developments so people can make their right decision in the polls. Let's talk high-level timeline right now before getting into the updates on Special Counsel Jack Smith. Remember, Donald Trump leaves the White House January of 2021, and he steals all of these records. By the time the National Archives realizes that he stole all of these records, it is around May of 2021. They send a letter to Donald Trump saying, hey, did you just, like, steal thousands of records, including classified records and sensitive compartmented information. They send that letter around May 9th of 2021. And then around May uh, 11th of 2021, or shortly thereafter, there's that video of Donald Trump leaving Florida in a private jet with staff members who are carrying boxes and they are bringing it to Bedminster. That's going to become important with some of the updates we're going to be talking about uh, later in this episode. Then throughout that remainder of 2021, the National Archives is saying, you need to return these records. Donald Trump is saying, I don't have these records. Then you go to 2022. Finally, January of 2022, Donald Trump is like, okay, I found some things, but this is all that I have. I'm going to return it. I got 15 boxes. Donald Trump returns 15 boxes, lots of newspaper clippings. But when the National Archives opens this in January of 2022, they like open up the newspaper clippings. They go, what? There's classified material in here. There's sensitive compartmented information in here. There's information in here that needs to be viewed in SCIFs. It's so highly sensitive. Sensitive compartmented information facilities. So then what does the National Archives do? They have no choice but to refer this over to the Department of Justice. They then conduct an investigation as well, and they start asking Donald Trump and his lawyers like Evan Corcoran what's going on. And then Donald Trump and Donald Trump's lawyers say, we've returned everything. Everything's in the 15 boxes. We don't have anything else. So what finally has to happen? The Department of Justice has to issue a subpoena in May of 2022. They send this subpoena to... Uh, Donald Trump, um, and they say, please return any other documents that you have, classified records, sensitive compartmented information, top secret information. You then have Donald Trump's lawyer, Evan Corcoran, who becomes the lawyer who leads the search, and his job is to try to search around in Mar-a-Lago, and he seems to have tried to take that job seriously, but we are learning that Donald Trump may have been playing Evan Corcoran with some of his own aides, someone by the name of Walt Nauta, who we'll discuss more in this episode, who, while Evan Corcoran was trying to conduct the search for classified material, kind of right out of, you know, one of these, uh, like, uh, kind of comedic sketches, although it's not funny because of the dangerous ramifications, you'd have, like, Corcoran go downstairs in the storage room to count, and then you'd have Walt Nauta, like, take the boxes and then move them back to Trump's office and kind of keep hiding it while these searches were taking place. 
Eventually, Evan Corcoran invites over the Department of Justice uh, top counterintelligence official, somebody named, by the name of Jay Platt, to show up at Mar-a-Lago on June 3rd of 2022, the day before, now we learn through some of the surveillance footage, the special counsel Jack Smith had, Walt Nauta, and a maintenance official by the name of Carlos de Oliveria were moving boxes around in Mar-a-Lago um, and kind of shifting where the boxes were located um, that had classified material in them before the DOJ shows up uh, on June 3rd as part of uh, the response to the subpoena that they issued back in May. Um, Evan Corcoran is there with Christina Bob. They signed an attestation saying that these are all of the records. They put them in a red weld folder, about 38 documents. They say, this is it. We have nothing else. Shortly thereafter, the DOJ did something very, very smart. They issued another subpoena for Donald Trump's surveillance footage. That starts freaking everybody out at Mar-a-Lago, including that maintenance worker, Carlos de Oliveria, who then reaches out to somebody by the name of Yusil Tavares, the IT worker at Mar-a-Lago, who deals with this surveillance footage, who's now gone before the grand jury asking, hey, how does this surveillance footage work like? What can they capture on those footage? And are we really going to give this footage over to the Department of Justice? (laughs) Then the Department of Justice learns that Donald Trump has not turned over all of the records. Uh, They file for a search warrant on August 5th of 2022 that a magistrate judge signs on August 5th. On August 8th, they execute the search warrant. They find thousands of government records, including over a hundred additional classified records and many, many, many classified folders that are actually empty as well. Next up, Donald Trump files that motion uh, with Judge Eileen Cannon that delays the process that we talked ad nauseum about here. Um, And then you fast forward a little bit, the DOJ wins that battle. Special counsel Jack Smith gets appointed in November of 2022. So about six months ago or so, Special Counsel Jack Smith's been investigating everything since then, believes also there's been obstructive conduct since the search on August 8th of 2022. I want to give you that framework because a lot of these things that have been uncovered, like a lot of that, a lot of the things we've been talking about all have happened in under a year, right? And Special Counsel Jack Smith's been appointed. We're talking about a six-month period where a lot of these discoveries have been made. So with that time frame in mind, because w- it's important that we go back and situate everybody on what's going on here. There's a lot that's happened. Uh, Popak, give us some of the updates that we're now yeah. learning this week. Yeah, that's a great framework. It's it's funny. I uh, You and I talk a lot before we get on to the show, but we didn't talk about one particular thing that I had come across and read. I'll probably end up doing a hot take on it. It's... Um, there's a draft prosecution memo that's been prepared by former prosecutors who are now in private practice, Norm Eisen, Daniel Perry, and others, and they really lay out in 150 pages exactly what the ultimate prosecution memo, what they would think Jack Smith's would look like back to Merrick Garland, laying out both the chronology that you just put down here for our listeners and followers, almost to a T, and then matching it with about four major crimes that they think would be charged 
uh, by uh, Jack Smith related to Mar-a-Lago. This is a Mar-a-Lago draft or model prosecution memo. And all of those things that, before I get to the kind of the new updates, all of those things that you just laid out, Ben, for those prosecutors, of course, they want, to, they want that to get out to the public and to get over to Jack Smith, would violate at least four different major criminal statutes. One of them being, first of all, uh, we've talked about this before on Legal AF, mishandling of government documents, Espionage Act, 18 U.S.C. 793, little e, National Defense Information, or NDI, being the key driver of that statute, not the fact that it's classified or top secret. Remember, for everybody, there were, on on Ben's description, there were 13,000 pages of documents, ultimately, that, that Donald Trump did not turn over. Of that, we always focus on this 100 top secret classified, but there were another 12,900 that many of which went RNDI, National Defense Information, and that's what matters for the statute, not the other thing. Then the second crime that they think has been implicated is concealing government records willfully, 18 U.S.C. 2071. Third is obstruction, which is if you go back to Merrick Garland's press conference when he announced Jack Smith's appointment, he must have said obstruction about six times. Then, so obstruction is 18 U.S.C. 1519 in the criminal code. Criminal contempt, which we haven't talked too much about on the show, but is sort of what it sounds like. There is an order from a federal judge. It was a search warrant. That is an order. There have been other turnover orders subsequent to that by the chief judge of the D.C. Circuit Court overseeing all things grand jury, once Beryl Howell, now Jeff Boesberg, not doing what you've been told to do under a federal order by a judge is criminal contempt uh, under 18 U.S.C. 402. And then the catch-all that every government prosecutor uses in every case I've ever been involved with as a defense lawyer is false statement to a federal official or authority, which is 18 U.S.C. 1001. So when Trump or Corcoran make statements to Jay Bratt about, no, there's not 13,000 other or 100, 100 top secret classified documents next door in the desk drawer of Donald Trump. It's just these 34 in an envelope. That is potentially a lie and a 1001 criminal violation, which I'm sure they've told Evan Corcoran. Those are the crimes. The new information is we've got the convergence of focus on video testimony video evidence, sorry, video evidence, and then the movement of boxes in and out of the storage room and the fact that Donald Trump intentionally misled his lawyer, Evan Corcoran, and Christina Bob by extension, by telling them correctly that all of the documents from the White House that were implicated by the National Archive and the ultimate subpoena and then search warrant were behind one door of one room called a storage room at Mar-a-Lago. A, that turns out not to be true. Because right next door in the office or wherever the office is located at Mar-a-Lago, in a desk drawer and in other places, were these top secret and classified and other documents. So he misled his lawyer to then mislead the government, Jay Bratt, in the meeting on June 2nd, and others, because it's not, it's not that he wanted to give his lawyer plausible deniability. He lied to Evan Corcoran. Evan Corcoran has now basically said that. I did not know there were documents in any other place. Now, Evan Corcoran's got his own problem because you've got to do due diligence and you've got to confirm things before you sign or have Christina Bob sign and say under penalty of perjury 
this is after a diligent search all of the documents that exist that wasn't true it's hard to blame your client oh Oh, my diligent search was in one room that Walt Nauta pointed me to and wanted to sit on me while I did the review, and I just took my client at his word. I'm not sure that's good enough. One of the reasons I don't think Evan Corcoran is in the case anymore and had to depart and has gone into the grand jury stripped of attorney-client privilege. So you have the, and then you have the movement on the video cameras because, you know, any master criminal like Donald Trump always forgets about his own video surveillance equipment sitting out in front of that same set of doors. And on it, because they subpoenaed that information, the government, from the Trump organization, they saw two things. Well, one thing they saw and one thing they didn't see. The one thing they saw was movement of boxes on date stamps that show that before the meeting with Jay, Jay Bratt on uh, June 2nd and after, Donald Trump was having Walt now to move boxes in and out of that room even before Evan Corcoran could go do a search. Go put a few more boxes in there. Take a few more out. And then, okay, Evan, go in. They're all in there now. And then after he, after he spoke, they took it back out again. That's what they saw in the video. What they didn't see on the video was missing video. There was missing video that they're trying to get to the bottom of with the uh, with the with the security company that, that, that uh, runs these things, along with Matt Calamari, Matt Calamari Jr., who were responsible for security, ultimately, of the Trump Organization. And those two have gone in, of course, and testified. So then you got the Bedminster, the maintenance worker, who's already been identified by name by the New York Times. He's already gone in with his lawyer a couple of times. It's never a great sign for Donald Trump when your maintenance worker has a criminal defense lawyer. Um, And he's cooperating. He's fully cooperating with the government in every way, shape, and form, and just totally opening the books. He's got, a, he's got photographs of the room. He, he talked about loading the, the SUV that Walt Nauta drove from, from Florida to, to New Jersey, filled with filled with boxes. And then, you know, I've, I've said on this podcast and in my own hot takes, there's going to be a search warrant that's going to be issued yeah. or a subpoena first for Bedminster. People here and with what we do have been amazed that as of right now, the government has been taking Donald Trump and his lawyers at their word about the search of Bedminster, especially with Tim Parlatori going on CNN saying, I couldn't properly search Bedminster. And it's the reason I'm departing because Trump's lawyer, Boris Epstein, has gotten in my way and interfered with my search. I don't know how that didn't immediately lead a Jack Smith team. Some more mount. Go get a subpoena slash search based on that testimony alone. I think we're going to see those developments in uh, uh, coming up soon. Ben, did I leave anything out between the video and the and the and the new? I want you to talk about getting... the recording that was part oh, of yeah. the July meeting, but but, but a July twenty twenty one meeting. Mm-hmm. But before at Bedminster, but before going there, here's the thing I want everyone to remember about Bedminster, though. Um, Jack Smith basically cut a deal with the lawyer Tom uh, Tim Parlatore.
So you check Ivana's gravesite. Cash S C H. No, cash. Forget how to spell cash. Search all his properties. Child to search all his properties. Did time. Lost time. Jim Trustee and some of the others, that those lawyers, who, by the way, Parlatory and Trustee um, have, of all of the lawyers on Trump's teams, have pretty good reputations before representing Donald Trump in the legal community. That's why Tim Parlatory just left and resigned about two, three weeks ago for the reasons that you just stated when he said his searches of Bedminster were being obstructed. Those searches were not just, hey, hey, hey I'm going to do this search because Donald Trump He's wants me to. He's hiding all of this because Quite it's incriminating. Special counsel Jack Smith had him do the search. They are. Chomsky did not lie when he said Trump was worst criminal in human history. Chomsky. Just same thing. Attestation under penalty of perjury where if the lawyer's attestations were false, if they obstructed justice, it would just be a new count. It would be a new charge where they could potentially face 20 years in prison if they lie. So when I like to think about the toolkit of a prosecutor, you know, one way to give an example is that, you know, they have the hammer, which is executing a search warrant. FBI agents show up, knock down the door, and conduct uh, a very invasive search, like, you know, with a search warrant, like what took place on August 8th of 2022 at Mar-a-Lago. But there are other tools in the toolkit. Sometimes you basically use a surgical scalpel because at the end of the day, the goal is to investigate the crime. The search warrant is just one tool to investigate the crime. And perhaps if you conducted two search warrants, one at Bedminster, one at Mar-a-Lago, you would be losing all additional sources of information that could potentially shut down because then both facilities would be would be locked down. I think Special Counsel Jack Smith has 
more people on the inside than we're currently aware of, that he knows what's going on at Bedminster and in the other properties, that it would be Donald Trump's reflexive criminality after the August 8th search warrant at Mar-a-Lago to then try to hide documents and move documents into a place like Bedminster or Trump Tower. And I think Special Counsel Jack Smith has got that. And, and, and remember, the national security apparatus in the United States did a security assess- assessment. These documents are all traceable, so we know what documents are missing at this point. And if they are missing, I think Special Counsel Jack Smith at this point pretty much knows where they are. But the other big update, you know, and I think it's helpful that I set out that framework in the beginning, and you could tell us a little bit about it, Michael Popak, is that in July of 2021, there was this meeting that was held between Donald Trump, some of Donald Trump's aides, and two people who were ghostwriting a book for Mark Meadows. Setting the stage, I'll, I'll toss it back to you. Yeah, that's great. So the um, what we didn't know is that uh, Trump would often meet with um, people like Mark Meadows, the ghostwriter for Mark Meadows' memoirs. Back when Mark Meadows thought he uh, would be a popular novelist or author, um, instead of being a potential criminal defendant, you know, when people didn't know he was burning documents in the White House fireplace, they had a meeting, and they and at that meeting was a an aide who recorded what happened at these meetings, I guess for posterity and for notes, and so they could help write the Mark Meadows book. And this is on the heels of Donald Trump always was incensed that then Joint Chiefs of Staff, uh, or the Joint Chiefs of Staff uh, uh, chairman, General Milley, had gone out and, and to try to make the rest of the world feel more comfortable about this madman in the bunker like Hitler in the final waning days of the administration having his finger on the nuclear button. He, uh, he called his counterpart, for instance, in uh, China to tell him, don't worry, whoa, we're not going to let this guy start World War III, basically. And he said other things publicly about um, what you would normally not do. When I originally read them, I'm like, wow, the commander-in-chief is being challenged publicly uh, under a civilian command structure by his chairman of the Joint Chiefs. And in any other world, you'd be like, that could be... That could be treason on the part of that guy, but we all uh, of, the, of the general. But in, in this case, because the rest of the world and thinking Americans were really worried about what Donald Trump would do, we wouldn't put it past them starting a war in order to stay in office or or get reelected or any of those other things. So he he hated that Donald Trump, and he hated the press and the media attention that Milley was getting, and so apparently in and around this time. In, uh, in about March of um, 2021, he said um, Millie, uh, who, he had, who, who he had called an effing idiot at Mar-a-Lago during a, a rant of his, um, said to this small group of people, including the aide in Mark Meadows, um, I'm not the warmonger. Millie's the more warmonger. And I have a document. It's classified really can't show it to you, but I have a document where he had war plans to go after Iran. See, he's the madman, not me. Well, there's a number of problems with that. First of all, if that document really exists, and let's put a bus. pin in that for a moment, let's assume Donald, 
here's a number of problems for Donald Trump's defense of the Mar-a-Lago case. One, he knew his documents so well, Mm -hmm. these haphazardly packed boxes that just happened to show up from the White House, that he actually had an inventory in his head that he knew about that document. So he could go in order. He's telling us, hey, go get me a Coke. And while you get it, get that Millie document that I have (laughs) that says he was going to go for a war plan with Iran. Really? You know your documents that well? There's like an inventory? I thought there were thousands of them and you didn't know what was in those boxes. So that's the first problem. Second problem is that this demonstrates that he knew that things were classified and that they hadn't been magically, telepathically declassified on, on January 19th when he left office or in the last waning days. So you got that problem. Three, he, he sort of indicates that he knows he can't show people these things because he said, well, they're classified. And I didn't get a chance. To, they're not declassified. Okay, that's a problem. And it completely blows apart all of the defenses that trustee and at the time Parlatore were so delicately crafting that got blown apart at the CNN town hall. Again, the gift that keeps on giving appears to be that CNN town hall now because they've all known about this this recording for quite some time. As early as March, they've known about this recording, the lawyers for Donald Trump. And they were on pins and needles, apparently, when he went in front of in May at the CNN event. And he used a very interesting phrase that I'm sure all of the investigators and prosecutors for Donald, uh, for uh, Jack Smith, for Donald Trump were were circling, which was he said that uh, he has, when they asked him, has he shown documents to people? He said, not really, not really, not no, not really, but I could have. And they all cringed, apparently. um, So reporting is reporting because they know about the March recording and they've been waiting for um, Jack Smith to strategically leak it to the media, which he's now done as part of the prosecution team that it exists. But then there's a bigger problem. Besides the fact it blows away the whole, he overpacked it, he didn't pack his own boxes, or he overpacked the boxes and didn't know what was in them, and he didn't know there was classified, or he declassified everything. All that tape does is destroy almost every one of those defenses that he could possibly have. He doesn't have any other defenses. You know, a reliance on attorneys doesn't work because he's never relied on his attorneys. They told him he, that he didn't declassify. Here's how you declassify. There's memos about classification that he was given before he left the White House that he ignored. He tried to lie to his lawyers. Every lawyer he's ever had about Mar-a-Lago, he has lied to. From the very beginning, when they initially started, quote-unquote, negotiating with the National Archive about the return of documents in exchange, transactionally, if you give me the Russia interference documents from 2016, I'll give you everything that I'm required to return. No, that's not. And he lied to his lawyer at that time, one that we haven't even talked about yet, and told that person to tell the National Archive that all the documents have been returned. When there were 13,000 sitting over in Mar-a-Lago. Every, remember, every lawyer he's ever had about Mar-a-Lago and beyond, he has lied to. Period. And that is the evidence that would go into the prosecution memo of, of uh, Jack Smith. The other problem is, does the document even exist? He's either a liar and a, and a, and a fabulous makes stuff up um, and said it to a group of people, which is, you know, you can believe that. Or 
He has the document, but he, they can't locate it. How do we know this? Because now there's reporting that in March, March is a big month. We, we didn't know it at the time because a lot of this didn't come out. And so, Ben, you and I couldn't report on it. But March was an, it was an incredible month for Jack Smith between the grand juries and everything else. One thing that we didn't know about is that a new subpoena got issued by Jack Smith through... The um, Jeff Boesberg, the, the chief judge of the D.C. Circuit, asking specifically, based on this, uh, based on uh, new reporting uh, and, uh, and, the, and the tape that has been out with the government since March, they had a subpoena that said, give us everything that you have in your possession about a invasion plan or map related to Iran and Millie. What do you got? goes which would which would capture this document if it exists and the, and the lawyers for donald trump including at the time tim parlatori said uh we got a couple of things about iran but we don't seem to have that particular document so either it is lost it is stolen and secreted which goes to the government's point you can't trust donald trump look what he's done he 